Tis the season for things to go bump in the night. And during this witching hour of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast, we talk to author Isabel Yap about her debut short story collection, Never Have I Ever. These scary stories intertwine Filipino mythology with the present day, sure to make readers ask themselves if everything is what it seems. Isabel shares her publishing story, how she chose to integrate topics such as queerness, immigration, and trauma, and how the stories she heard growing up in Manila served as the backdrop for her anthology. I'm Denny. And I'm Veronica. So don't go away. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzysbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We're your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And we are joined by the wonderful writer, Isabel Yab. She is here to talk about our book of the month for uh, the month of September, which is Never Have I Ever. Yes, it is my birthday month, um, September. Shout out to the Libras. Haters going to hate, but um, I picked this book because first, me and Isabel are both Filipino. Um, If you don't know, now you know. You should know because you've been listening to the the podcast for how long now? A year and some change. And we got to stay on brand. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so... Um, I don't do scary stories. We all know that. Um, I know that. But for some reason, this month on my birthday, I chose this book. I want you to repeat that, that you chose it. Because you like it. to blame me for a lot of the things. But this one do. is all you. You picked this Yeah, one. I can't read this book at night, y'all. No. I can't. I'm scared. <laughs> but anyway... We have Isabel Yap. She writes fiction and poetry, works in the text industry, and drinks tea. She is born and raised in Manila, like me. She also has lived in California and London. She holds a bachelor's degree in marketing from Santa Clara University and an MBA from Harvard Business School. In 2013, she attended a Clarion Writers Workshop. Her work has appeared in venues including Tor.com, Lightspeed, Strange Horizons, and Year's Best Weird Fiction. Her debut short story collection never have i ever was published in 2021 by small beer press she is at vizyap on twitter and her website is isabelyap.com welcome to the show happy to be here you're really excited that you're here thank you so much for joining us of course um, so our first question has to be, it's, it's basic, but it's not basic. And I, we were just very curious. So you created a, a collection of short stories. And so two of them that stood out the most for us in regards to the title of your page. And we were just wondering, so 
Your book is called Never Have I Ever, and there are two stories. One is A Canticle for Lost Girls, and another of Have You Heard the One About Anna Maria Marquez? And mm-hmm. both of them are, seem to be based within the school and with the title of Never Have I Ever, which, you know, for us, we kind of understand that this is a, a game that you play. Sometimes it's a drinking game to figure out. And we were just wondering, is that why you titled your book that to give that feel mm-hmm. of like of what it is to be a teenager or early in your early 20s and, and playing these games also in terms of like mixing it up with the themes of it being like with the horror stories and the ghost stories that you tell? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really like astute. Um I didn't set out to really like choose a title that was not one of the story titles. I think my original idea was let's pick one of the story titles. But as I was going through the then table of contents, it actually changed quite a bit after we had already picked the title. It didn't seem like there was a title that was both good and was going to encompass like the whole collection because the stories are a little bit varied um and I was freaking out because I actually like care a lot about titles so I had this moment um where I went to I was living in Boston at that time I went to the river and like sat down by the river and was just like I'm gonna come up with a title for the collection and I brought with me this book of poetry um called Brute by Emily Skaja I actually don't know how to pronounce her name um but her collection is all about like a lot of the poems center on you know, themes of being young women um, and like the challenges and the dangers that they face um, and like violence. And also there's like some religious overtones. I was just like skimming the book, trying to get inspiration. And I don't know if Never Have I Ever is actually a line in the book, but it came to me in that session and I like wrote it down because it, like you guys said, it implies like schoolyard games. It's a little bit creepy. Um, And it was general enough that I felt like this might work. So I sent about 15 titles to my publishers and then um, they said, what about this one? So um, luckily we connected on it. When they said that, I was like, yeah, I'm okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Something about going to the water and just like communing and you're just like, I need information. You got that awesome. Can we talk about the cover though? Like that cover this is shiny by the way see look at this (laughs) how did that come about yeah um similarly pretty collaborative with my publishers slash editors um I really like illustrative styles for covers uh I've had like a lot of good fortune I would say even if I'm a short story writer some of my stories have been given covers and they're just they've just been really great every time um and I do really love art like I love visual art I love going to museums so I am a choosy cover person I definitely judge books by their covers you know and then um what happened was my editor had an artist in mind that they were um sort of interested in so they sent me their Instagram And I was like, I do like this, but I actually would really rather have a Filipino artist do my cover, if at all possible, Filipino or film, because there's so much like talent in the visual arts. Um, And I follow a lot of these Filipino artists on Twitter already. So I like went and pulled a couple of like portfolios and a couple of pieces in the portfolio specifically um, to show as an example. And I um, sent like, you know, again, 
maybe like six or seven different artists to my publishers. Um, and then they came back and said, what about this one? <laughs> and they, they picked this, this piece of art from the website of Alexa Sharp, who's the artist. And I was like, yeah, I think that works really well. I actually wanted, um, you know, a new piece of art, if, if at all possible. Like I was kind of interested in commissioning a piece. Um, but after talking it over with my publisher, he was like, that it doesn't always work out for us. Like sometimes, you know, with the publishing timeline, it gets really difficult. So I was like, I thought about it and I was like, this is, this is gonna, you know, sell the book. Like, I think it's a really, really great illustration. So um, I said it was like great. And luckily she agreed. And I really do think, you know, I, I couldn't be happier with it. It's, it, it captures a lot of um, what I think the content is like. Oh, most certainly. It's a it's a beautiful cover. And it's like, what is inside? You got to crack me open. You got to see, see it. That? It's amazing. So <laughs> you see all of this? Look at that. <laughs> and you see this? This is the creepiest part about it right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're like, is she drowning? Does she kind of like, like is, it? <laughs> is she drowning somebody else? Or is, is she, she coming drowning? out of the water to get somebody? It's, it's, it's really dope. I like it a lot. <laughs> So how did you decide to write these stories under the umbrella of, they said, speculative fiction? And why mm -hmm. did you choose to integrate topics such as, you know, queerness, immigration, trauma, abuse, and more on these stories? Yeah, big question. Um, big question. So, yeah, like, why spec fic? Um, to be honest, I feel like I got into writing speculative fiction because um, it was where the opportunity was for me. Uh, so in college, for example, I was in the Philippines. I was in Ateneo de Manila University. And like many college colleges everywhere, the literary scene in a university is focused on realism, I think, you know, or like um, what you would house in fiction or what you might read in like The New Yorker. Um, so in terms of like the models of what we were reading in class and what we were workshopping in the literary folio, which I was really involved in, it was called Heights, you know, it was literary fiction. Um, and that's what like, we have our own awards in the Philippines um, for writing, and that is what they usually accept. But um, I didn't have that much success submitting literary fiction. I also wasn't writing a ton of it, like I would only do it for contests and stuff. And I was more focused on poetry. Um, but then this anthology opened up called Philippine Speculative Fiction. Like they had an open call. You didn't need to be like previously published or have any accolades to submit, um, which was very welcoming to me as like a college freshman. So I submitted a story there and it got accepted. And then I was like, oh, okay. Like, uh, you know, there's a publisher here willing to take my work. Um, and same thing with like, eventually publishing in the US-based venues after I had moved to the States. Um, I, you know, ended up attending the Clarion workshop, uh, mostly because I was like obsessed with Kelly Link and really wanted to study with her. Um, Kelly Link, who is also my editor and publisher. So that's like a, I'm a successful fan. That's <laughs> 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 um, But, you know, I, I say I ended up going to the Clarion workshop because Truly, at the time I was looking up writing workshops, I was planning to apply as a poetry fellow. Um, I was, again, more involved in poetry as an undergrad. But when I 
discovered Clarion through a Google search and saw that Kelly Link was teaching, I was like, oh man, I have to apply. And I wasn't writing a lot of fiction then, but Clarion was a spec workshop. So I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to come up with some spec fic stories and um, submitted them. And that's how I got in. And um, because that's the genre of Clarion, that ended up being the genre that I wrote, you know, six stories for that summer and started publishing subsequently. And um, I don't want to make it sound like I am not interested in genre. Like I've been writing fanfic most of my life and the fanfic that I tend to write is for anime or JRPGs, which tend to be speculative because like, you know, it's got sword fighting and magic and like all kinds of stuff, right? It's usually like both science fiction and fantasy in these stories. So um, it was definitely like, you know, something I enjoyed reading and something that I was consuming a lot of in media, but as for why I write it, it's because that's where I had openings, I guess. Um, and then in terms of the themes of the story, I'm kind of of the belief that um, an author doesn't really get to choose their themes. Like, I think that you, you have preoccupations and they just like bubble up in your writing um, and you, you can consciously play with them. And I think at, at some point you start to think like, what am I trying to say? And that shapes the story. But um, it was really only when I was sort of like putting together the collection and looking at the table of contents that I was like, man, I like write a lot about like trauma, uh, you know, um, and that kind of thing. And like, it, it is one of those things where you're like, the, the act of rereading your own work and reflecting on it also teaches you something about the things that you grapple with, or the things that you're struggling with that maybe you can't even really face um, just normally. And that's maybe why it comes out in, in things like your fiction. Um, yeah, I don't know. How did you find yourself? Um, I don't want to like double ask the, the question that was just asked, but like with no, it no. Been a fantasy, like how was that the, the thing that you found yourself gravitating to, especially like when you were doing fantasy? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, in terms of fantasy, I feel like um, it's hard uh, Denny, let me know if you agree, but like, it's hard to be Filipino and not have like some obsession with the fantastic because yeah. um, I, I feel like the horror stuff and then like, just like magic in everyday life and some of it tends towards horror is baked into our experience. For example, I believe in ghosts. I feel like it would be- I told you she does. <laughs> it would be hard to meet a Filipino who's like, I don't believe in ghosts. Cause like, see, I'm not there. <laughs> No, like, I mean, but speaking very seriously, I have friends who like have third eyes. I have friends who've heard stuff, you know, or whose parents have like heard stuff. And like, I know that my grandparents sometimes visit my family members in our dreams, right? Um, so that is real for me. That is not like a weird woo-woo thing. That's just like my life. Um, and I am very grateful that ghosts don't like me. I feel like I repel ghosts, but I definitely think that they exist. And so, um, you know, I think it's just woven into our existence. Um, as a kid too, growing up in the nineties, uh, the Disney fairy tales are a huge part of my like existence. So, you know, I, I think those stories uh, were like, just like the Disney princesses, we grew up with them. So I also really like fairy tales and that kind of thing. And then again, tracing it back to sort of like anime and then certain video games like Final Fantasy. 
Um, that was my inroad into fantasy. In addition to like, you know, the, the one very popular like um, British fantasy book that I like don't want to say anymore, but that was also extremely formative at that time and like imprinted on a whole generation um, that you could be a witch or a wizard, right? So all of these factors combined, I think, made it so that, you know, fantasy was just something that I was like very interested in. Yeah. See, she explained my life right there (laughs) i've been trying to tell veronica how i came about this way but i think you just summarized my entire life um (laughs) your stories are very nostalgic for me so i was born in antipol but i studied college in manila so i i i grew up there with my grandparents and i studied in ust Mm. Um, so you know like you said earlier like you that was actually one of like my my questions like there's no way this chick doesn't believe in ghosts <laughs> you can't write about this shit without believing in ghosts and veronica was just laughing at me but like i gotta ask that question though <laughs> now that you've answered my question like how much of like you know being filipino affected most of the stories that you wrote yeah um First of all, I want to say I find like anytime I meet someone who went to USD, I'm like, wow, you're so brave because it's such it requires so much survival, I think, to survive USD because of the flooding every year. I don't know. <laughs> That's what I know about USD. Um, yeah. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the flooding. Um, I, I actually was there for a week one summer. I did a poetry workshop there um, on USD campus. So um yeah it takes me back um (laughs) in terms of how the Filipino-ness affects it I mean I think I think it permeates everything right like I I own how should I say this so I do read reviews of my collection and a lot of the reviews are like um you know the author not in a mean way but they're like you know you will get a lot more out of the stories if you like have google open so you can like google the Tagalog terms um, or, you know, the author does not make it easy on the readers, right, to um, know what this story is about. And I'm not consciously trying to make it hard on people. Um, I'm just like writing the story, you know, the way my brain is creating it. And that like, now that I'm reading these reviews, I'm like, yeah, I guess if you're not Filipino, a lot of this is going to be like, um unusual or confusing or just just like new to you right you're like what is this paradigm and I always want to caveat it by saying like a I had a very specific Manila girl like experience of being a Filipino um so you know I, I think I think it's really obvious in my work like uh but you wouldn't know that if you were not Filipino. Like, I think a Filipino person will read my story and be like, wow, she's such a conyo girl. Conyo in the Philippines is not like a super bad word. It just refers to like a certain type of like school girl, I guess. Like um, bougie, but like, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like a bougie girl um, who went to probably private school who like wore like a checkered skirt, you know, <laughs> just like there's a certain image. And and also what we would call English era, like someone who uses English a lot. Um, which like I fully acknowledge I grew up as you know Um, but the other thing is I'm also a diaspora writer now and so I've been living away from the Philippines for more than a decade this year which is crazy and I um, like I go back every year except this year because of COVID but you know I, I still have pretty strong ties to the Philippines like my best friends are there 
Um, and I have family there. And again, I still visit regularly, but I also am not there anymore. So some of my memories and some of the things I'm writing about are sort of in a freeze frame from like the late 2000s. Um, so, you know, I, I think it informs everything from like the stories that I choose to write about to how I write, to how my characters speak and think. Um, but it's also just like my specific thing. And I did want to say there's, um, there are three stories in the collection that do not have Filipino protagonists. And I'm not sure if people pick up on that. I mean, I think in A Cup of Salt Tears, it's really obvious that it's set in Japan. Um, but, you know, for the two other stories, um, I don't know if people automatically assume that because I'm Filipino or the rest of the stories are Filipino, those protagonists are also Filipino, but actually they're not. Does that mean the story isn't a Filipino story in some way? I don't think so because I'm a Filipino and I wrote it. It's just maybe not necessarily you know, the character's nationality. I'm glad that you brought that up because there was a, I recently read um, an interview that you did with uh, CNN uh, based in the Philippines and you touched on um, <laughs> the story. Oh, goodness, I can't think of it right now. A Spell for it, Foolish Hearts? Yeah. The gay yeah. one. <laughs> and, and you were talking about how it, it was a character that has uh, no ethnicity. There was no, no... Mm -hmm um uh, identifier to that um so can you talk to those who probably have not read that that article can you talk on why you chose to have in that especially in that particular story where the where the race was not identified yeah um for me part of it is just like a thinking about what is most important in the story because it's a short story that story is a novelette um, there's not a ton of room to like explore everything. So part of it is just like a strategic choice of what is most important for me to communicate about the character. And um, part of it, again, for me is I don't necessarily get to choose everything in the story. I mean, I do in editing, but the way Patrick, who's the protagonist, the way he came to me as a character is he wasn't Filipino. <laughs> he was like, he was Californian. Um, but he wasn't necessarily Filipino. And so that informs things like um, he has an aunt in the story who's very important to him. She's the one who helps him be a witch. And if he was Filipino, she would be Tita, not auntie. And I was like, I just don't think, I don't think he's Filipino. I don't think he's going to call her auntie, you know, like the character that came from like the story ether and, and came to me was not. And I also realized um, if he was Filipino, that would be a lot of the reason why his family does not accept him being queer. And I wanted it to be a little bit more vague, like their relationship to his queerness and whether, you know, it was just like they're, they're unsure about it. Like, basically, I didn't want the queerness to be directly tied to being Filipino, which meant being directly tied to being Catholic. Um, that was just not like a, a through line that I wanted in his queer love story. Um, maybe some of that is because I wasn't prepared to write about it yet, you know, uh, because that informs some of my own experience, for example. So I was like, okay, Patrick is not Filipino. Um, that doesn't mean he's not necessarily not Filipino, right? I just like, don't need to put that in the story. I actually think it's quite nice to have this sort of like character who in his 
thoughts and feelings and like how he is in the story could be a stand-in for anyone if you wanted to do that as a reader. Um, and the most important thing for me is that he's gay and he's a witch. And so I was like, let me just focus on that um, and let me not introduce the Filipino thing, which would inform the queerness thing in a different way than if he's just generically Californian. Um, so in regards to Patrick's character, like you said, he is queer. Um, and in the article, you talked about him, I guess, basically being uh, demisexual, which is the very first mm-hmm. time I ever heard that that term. Yeah. Um, can, and, and also a witch. So can you speak to us about the duality of that character? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was interesting because my first realization about Patrick was that he was like a boy witch. Like that was the idea. And then the question becomes, okay, why is he a boy witch and not a wizard? And like, how do I make that work in the story? And the, the seed of that idea was he doesn't get to choose. Like you don't get to choose that you're a witch or a wizard. And it's not necessarily tied to like, your gender at birth it's just he's just a witch like and I don't even necessarily have an explanation for it spoilers to like author's toolkit like again it's just a it's just a fact in the universe of the story that he's a witch and I want like then the parallel for me became the idea that this is a personal belief I think other people can believe differently um you don't really get to pick your sexuality you can claim it or not Um, And it can change. But, you know, I think that you don't get to choose. So in the same way, that was like a clear parallel that he is gay, you know. Um, And then in terms of him being Demi, um, that for me was my entry point into the character because he's male, because he's gay, uh, neither of which I am. Um, So I was like, okay, but how do I how do I embody Patrick in a way that like can make him feel very human. Um, And I don't do this to every character, but since I was going to stay with him for a long time, and since it was like a romantic story, I wanted to feel close to him. Um, And I realized like, you know, I don't read a lot of stories about people in their later 20s who have never had a boyfriend or a girlfriend. And I think that um, there's a lot of assumptions that get into that, especially when you're queer. And Um, I just wanted, I was like, I think I would have appreciated this story when I, like, I wrote it when I was 27, actually. So I made him my same age and then wanted to just construct a story around a person who'd never been in a serious relationship. And, um, you know, the number of people who have been like, this resonates, like, I'm so glad, you know, I, I'm reading about someone who didn't have their first boyfriend or girlfriend in high school, like that to me. Um, A, it's really rewarding, and B, kind of shows that, like, this probably happens a lot more than people think, but it's underrepresented in media. Um, And for those listening who don't really know necessarily what Demi is, it's also a term that, like, I only found out through a friend who read one of my stories and said, I think this character is Demi. And I was like, what is that? And then she, like, explained it to me, and I was like, ha, and then realized, like, I think I am that, which is, you don't, you don't get crushes easily and you don't like people until they're your friends. Like you do not fall in love with someone until you're like very close to them. And again, I think this just is not portrayed very frequently. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's, it is on the ACE spectrum. So I think that's the other aspect of it is like, uh, you know, I never, I, 
my friends in the Philippines one time we were having like a conversation and someone was like you're such a halaman you know like you're like a plant like you just don't get feelings for people and I was like I really don't you know like I love a lot of people and I have a lot of like loving friendships but it takes a lot for me to get attracted to someone so I just like wanted to bake that into the story and try to try to make that feel real and I was not sure if it would resonate I actually got a bit of feedback early on that like the most unrealistic thing about the story was the fact that he'd like never um been in a relationship and I was like but that's me you know (laughs) um so so yeah I I just um feel quite validated now that I've heard from other people who have that same experience and you can be like ah kindred I found my tribe my people yeah exactly (laughs) you write about the stuff that you don't read that's you know mostly what the authors that come to our show say Mm -hmm. so you know we write this book because we've never seen it before and you know we write for ourselves and for our people so so that was like is leading to my next question it's like you know who did you write this book for like I'm appreciative of like the folklore the mythicality Mm -hmm. I live there too like what you said earlier like it really I think being Filipino and like being born into just like a sort of like a catholic but also kind of like very spiritual mm-hmm. and country like everybody believes like in ghosts or has seen one or has heard something that's kind of like ingrained in you yeah Whether you believe it or not you've heard about it it's not like new news but mm-hmm. you know i off i often wondered like you said earlier you know would people understand it would you know would be able would they be able to keep up and i just while reading it I just wanted people to like the characters like I want people to mm-hmm. understand but I'm just like but I can't force that you know if they do yeah. they, if they don't then they don't like yeah that's on me so yeah totally were you were you worried that you know that this book would just be like for like a specific group of people or you were just like I'm writing it for everybody for all my people yeah yeah I think I've always kind of operated on two levels with this question. Um, One of them is like, I am writing for anyone who uh, um, can read my stories, right? Like I'm writing for anyone for whom this work will resonate. Uh, Actually, um, about two years ago, I got a really lovely email from someone, uh, you know, like he he phrased it this way. He was like, I'm like, you know, much older cis white man, um who had some former I don't know job maybe in the army or something and he's like I'm the last person who would ever like your work but I like read this story of yours I can't even remember which one it was it might have been um Windrose and Scarlet which is like a queer fairy tale but he was like I read it and I super liked it and I want to know when you're gonna have a book out you know (laughs) and I was like oh my god like this person did a self call out that like I'm really I really don't think I'm the target audience for your work but I like it a lot and took the time to write me a fan letter which is really quite rare so you know I I'm writing for people like that too right like if if my work can speak to you then that just makes me so happy and um that you know that just makes my day, right? Um, no matter who you are. But the other level of this question is, um, I am writing specifically, you know, like micro specifically to like young, queer, Filipino, 
women <laughs> and non-binary people, I guess, who um, didn't didn't know that it was possible. And that that was me in high school. I mean, it's not like I walked around being like, it's impossible to be an author, but I just didn't see the possibility. You know, I thought I could only ever be published in the Philippines, if at all. Um, and like, you don't see the possibilities because you never read about yourself, right? Like, it's the whole thing of you write what you don't see. And so it didn't like bum me out and it did not make me angry. Um, and maybe that's because Twitter didn't exist then, you know, so I was just like happily in my pocket, like writing fanfic and, and dreaming about one day, um, maybe having an audience for my own work. But um, I never, you know, I just never saw it, right? So how did I, how could I know that it was possible? I remember every time there was a Filipino author who published internationally, and this speaks to some colonial mentality that's still very strong in us, right? Like to me, the marker of, oh, they've made it, is that they get published abroad, you know, um, which is, you know, that has its own challenging implications. But like, uh, even in the Philippines, it's when you get published abroad that people take you more seriously. And I think that is colonial mentality. But like, I remember the authors who did that, who would go home and do like a tour, and I would be like, whoa, so cool, you know, like, um, yeah, like uh, a, a handful of them. And to me, that opened up the possibility each time, but it wasn't usually speculative fiction. And, you know, the main characters usually uh, weren't queer. So, you know, that um, that is the hyper-specific audience that I'm writing to is I wanna show that like, you can write this and, you know, have fun with it. And um, I hope that by writing these characters, like people can see themselves and then will hopefully be motivated to tell their own version of the story because I firmly believe that there is no limit to the number of great Mananangal stories that can exist in the world. You know, if we can, I mean, it's often said, but like, if we can have a thousand variations on vampires, like why not a thousand on the Mananangal? And um, I think that there's a real danger in thinking that there is only one. I think sometimes publishing will try to make you think there's only room for one. Um, and my way of pushing back on that is to try to uplift other Filipino voices and just be supportive where I can be, um, you know, but it, it's a challenge. Like, um, yeah, I'll stop there because like my mind is going to other places. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Because what, <laughs> the interview is so good because you have been like tapping and knocking on the door of our next question. <laughs> um, <laughs> You can go on. You can go on because <laughs> here we go. Um, so like you said, it's evident uh, that writers of color have a tremendously hard time getting published. And uh, most of the time, they're often met with false statement that there mm -hmm. is no audience for the book. And you've already talked about your audience and other people who reach out to you who never thought that they would read, mm -hmm. read something like that. Um, and so you wrote a book of short stories that involve a lot of Filipino mythology. What was that like for you to um, go through the publishing um, aspect of it, like to to walk through the door and say, OK, this publisher wants my yeah. book. And uh, was it hard getting a book deal? Did you, mm. you know, like just take us through that whole process? Yeah, totally. Um so 
in um, writing speculative short fiction, uh, it operates a little bit differently than I guess literary fiction in the sense that, um, you know, they, they both kind of have a path. Um, and I think in literary fiction, for example, an MFA is like one of the paths and something that people frequently get. In spec fic, um, I do think that, you know, it is, uh, we're very lucky to have, I guess, a, an active community and also to have several magazines that are free to read online. Um, and so my education about how to get published in speculative fiction, again, happened through Clarion. And um, I want to caveat, like, I had an amazing experience at Clarion. I'm actually um, a volunteer for Clarion in San Diego. There's two, there's also Clarion West in Seattle. Um, and Clarion uh, San Diego has been running for like 50 years at this point and has produced a lot of like really great authors in the genre. So it's also a community. It is not necessary in the same way that an MFA is not necessary to being published. Um, but for me, at least, um, not knowing anything really about how to get published in SpecFic, that was where I learned how to. Um, that was where, you know, I met my first mentors and that's where I got my initial community um, that has evolved into like still my writing community because I know alumni from the years that came like after and before me. Um, and the path that they shared with me, uh, so not, no great secrets, I'll share it with you now, is like you identify the magazines in the genre. Um, one good way to do this is, you know, you look at anthologies or you look up the websites of the authors that you like and then look at where they publish. And that should give you a list of um, these are the magazines that are publishing good work. And then there's not really magic to it. You submit into the slush pile until you get in, <laughs> which can sometimes take a very long time. Um, you know, and I think that that is the path that most people take to publishing in SpecFic. Um, is there like a secret society where like editors tap specific authors that they love or, 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 you know, they, they hear about names and they reach out to them specifically to try to solicit stories for them. That does happen. Like, I'm not going to say it doesn't, but I also believe in the slush pile because um, that's how I got in and that's how a lot of my friends get in. Like, it is unfortunately a grind <laughs> and you will get a lot of rejections, um, which I also did and still do. So, you know, I, I did that um, following that advice. I submitted my stories um, it's not easy. Like I do want to be upfront that it can be pretty discouraging to get rejected a lot. Um, and you know, some of my stories got accepted on the first or second try. Um, but a lot of them got, you know, multiple rejections before they found the right home. So I just want to be upfront that like, it's, it is a bit of a numbers game slash like brute forcing process. Um, one thing I do want to say is if you find yourself getting stuck on a certain step, like you are doing the submission and not able to rise above the slush pile. I do think at that point, it might be useful to get feedback from the community and see what else you might be doing. Like try to find other writing friends who can help you because I know I know it's really frustrating to stay on that step. And it could also just be that um, you need to find other publications. Like they are switching out their new ones every other year or so. There are some markets that I'm, I still haven't cracked. Like I just, my tastes just don't align with the editor's preferences. And I think that that's just a reality sometimes. So you may want to wait until the editor changes or wait for a guest editor. So just some tips for uh, any author, any authors listening. But, um, you know, I, I, I do want to admit that I felt very lucky. Like I did start selling stories um, pretty quickly after I attended Clarion and I didn't have expectations for it. I 
to be honest, think I am my own biggest enemy a lot of the times in the publishing journey because I am not super confident. Like I, I don't, I don't think I beat myself up a lot. Like I see friends who like just absolutely beat themselves up and I don't do that. But I also don't, you know, I don't really like, even with the book, I didn't necessarily believe that there was a big readership for it. And I remember um, talking about this with one of my friends where I was like, I just don't think that the audience is that big. And he was like, why do you think that way? And I was like, I just don't think it is, you know, like, I couldn't even articulate why. I mean, I think um, there's this very good essay by a Filipino author named Nick Wakan called A Heritage of Smallness, where he makes a case that Filipinos tend to think small. And that's why we are like, our, our monuments are small, why our boats are small. <laughs> you know, he's just like, he kind of roasts us and says, you know, we, we don't tend to dream very big. And I don't know if that essay just imprinted on me when I was in elementary school, but I do think that I don't reach for the stars in the way that I see other people do. Um, and so I, yeah, I've never been like, oh yeah, my stories have, are gonna have a huge readership and I'm gonna like, you know, hit the list or whatever. Like I never, I can never give myself that. Um, so I don't know if that's just a personal thing or a cultural thing or what, um, but you know, I did, I did have this very good fortune of um, selling stories to some very good markets early on and was always like extremely pleasantly surprised and humbled by that experience. Um, and the path again in specfic is not necessarily that you make a collection, like usually you try to sell a few short stories and you're also working on a novel and the novel is the thing that gets you an agent and a book deal. And then usually you kind of stick with novels once you've written a novel. Um, I have been trying to write a novel for many years, but I'm not a novelist and it, I'm writing one right now and it's like going very slowly and painfully. <laughs> and, um, you know, but I, I do like writing short stories. And so over um, between 2013, when I went to Clarion and then this year when the book came out, you know, I was just like sort of steadily working through a list of short story ideas that I had and trying to sell them. And, um, you know, sometimes selling them with success and sometimes not. And around, um, I wanna say 2017, um, I was talking about short stories on Twitter and Kelly Link said, I would love to see a collection from you sometime, Isabel. Um, and I was like, oh. <laughs> um, again, me not necessarily having like a ton of confidence in my own work was like, yeah, right. You know, like, like, oh, she's so, she's so sweet to say that, but like, um, uh, cool, Kelly, you know, like I just, I didn't do anything to that prompt, um, which was kind of a silly thing to do, but, um, then she did it again a couple months later. And then I was like, oh, is she serious? So I like DM'd her and said, are you serious? And she said, yeah, I'm totally serious. Like, you know, send us some stories and, and we'll make a collection. So um, this is unusual. Like I will be upfront that it's not every day that your mentor slash um, dream publisher, because I love Small Beer Press says, send us your work, right? And I think it's because Kelly was one of my instructors at Clarion. So she was familiar with my stories. She'd sort of, you know, checked in on my career from time to time. Um, and so I'll admit that I was like extremely lucky. Um, if she had not done that, then I probably would not have tried to sell a collection. I probably would have 
done what everyone else does, which is like try to write a novel for many, many years and then hope that I eventually sell it. So because of her confidence in me, you know, I talked to her and Gavin. I don't have an agent, by the way. Um, I thought really hard about like, should I try to get one before I go ahead with this book deal? And because I know Kelly and Gavin um, and I trust them, I did not feel the need to get an agent for this. But I don't think this is necessarily the right thing to do. I think if you are less um, if you're less familiar with your publisher, I also had agent friends. I could ask if anything like serious came up. So that's the other aspect of it. Um, I, I do highly, highly recommend getting an agent if at all possible to deal with book stuff and legal stuff. Um, but yeah, I decided to start the conversation with them. The other key thing is I really trusted them as readers of my work. And I think that is super important is when you find a publisher, just believing that the editor and you have the same vision for your eventual book. Um, so yeah, I, I pulled together a manuscript. I sent it to them um, in actually early 2019. So even after she'd originally said, I am serious, it still took me a long time to put together the manuscript because there were certain stories that I wanted to write first. One of them was Asphalt River Mother Child, for example. Like, between me first talking to them and then me actually sending the manuscript, I wanted to write that story and I was able to sell and publish it, um, but get to include it in the collection after. And in terms of like the difficulties of audience, um, you know, I think, I think it's very possible to just freak out about it, which I'll admit I did a lot of in the lead up to the book coming out. Um, but at some point you just think, it's out of my hands, right? Like I have to trust that the material is good and that it will find its readers. And the thing that I don't have control over is how many readers it will reach. And I think that that's still true. That's still how I feel today. Like um, Small Beer Press is a small press. You know, it's not gonna have the same kind of marketing budget that a bigger press um, will have. Uh, it's not gonna have that level of distribution that you know, a book from one of the big four publishers is going to have. And the the book will really, I mean, I think it's already met, like, it's already sort of like surpassed <laughs> the little box that I created around its potential um, as, as this, you know, dreaming small author that I am, um, in the sense that like, I get to talk to you guys, you know, I get to talk to people um, I get I get like randomly invited for stuff and I'm like, I don't know how you're discovering my book, but I'm so grateful because um, it honestly means everything to me. And it is the kind of thing that can only survive through word of mouth because it's not going to get the big placement. You know, it's not going to get the big feature. Um, and I don't um, like I don't resent that or anything. You know, I think that's just the reality of publishing. I have a business degree. So like I understand the industry a little bit from that perspective and how it works. I know that in the end, the publishers to have to make money and it's economics, et cetera. And the same thing with the bookstores. Um, but that's why, like, I just feel very grateful every time there's a reader that organically, A, discovers the book, B, likes it, and then C, tells a friend, like, you should read this. So um, I'm, again, not really sure how people are finding it except through word of mouth at this point. And so, um, yeah, very, very grateful. And the last thing I'll say is, um, you know, I also recognize that I've been writing in the community for eight years at this point, and even earlier than that, um, because I started publishing before I even left the Philippines. So I also think that just over time, 
putting out, you know, a story a year was basically my pace. I did manage to create a community in speculative fiction and they've been like my rock. Um, and so I do have friends who like, you know, get out there and like promote for me <laughs> when I'm unable to do it for myself. And so um, I've been here a long time is the other thing I realized when my book came out and um, it, uh, an author sort of referred to it as like a slow burn. Like, I don't think I've had, you know, uh, one story and then it won all of the major awards. In fact, I've never been up for one of the major awards, but it's just quietly doing the work, trying to create a body of work that I'm proud of that has led to the book being published and then led to like, actually now that it's live, I had friends I could ask blurbs from, I had friends I could sort of like, you know, um, without even say, me saying anything, they, they just started promoting it. And for that, I'm really grateful. Um, there is really something when you have somebody who is in a place of somewhat of a of power to be able to say, hey, I want you to write a collection of work and send it to us so we can look at it and possibly pu publish it, which, you know, it, it, if everybody did that, it would be like, you no telling what we would be able to read, you know, and you just sit and you think about like, what is rolling out in the world that's just sitting in someone's desktop that we'll probably never know about because someone just didn't have the time to like sit and read the manuscript or believe that there was an audience for the work. So yeah. I, you know, that that's quite uh, uh, an experience. And, you know, and when you're writing for the art of it, yeah, like you're saying, like it might be a slow burn, but it's reaching those people who it needs to reach. And, yeah. you know, it's just one of those treasures that, you know, you can bring up later, like in your life, 20 years down the line and and find out that, you know, there's this this young person that has found your book and wants to talk to you about your book. And I don't know. We hunted you down like I hit you up in your DM, <laughs> your, uh, your, uh, your website. Yeah. And I'm like, we got to get her. We got to figure this is who Denny wants. So we got to get what Denny wants. Thank I got to make it happen. I'll be honest with you. I don't know how I I found you all I know is is that I found I think one of like the like a like excerpt from like an article or, an, mm -hmm. or one of the stories that she did and I'm like who is this who is this person what yeah. is she about what is she doing because it's very rare to find like first a Filipino like um you know lady queer mm -hmm. author that's doing this and <laughs> it's always like you know cis white men um <laughs> yep, yep yep it's yep. just like one it's like a genre that they I think you know they thrive in and it's easy for them to like sell because like people would buy it but then it's like you know it's it's cultures and like people like us that have more stories to tell that actually has more interesting stories to tell. And, and yeah. I did want to say, um, I, I think the Filipino book community has come out for the book in like a way that I really appreciate. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not super wired in. I've actually been on like Twitter half hiatus for many, many months for various reasons. But, um, you know, I think there's Filipinos in the Philippines um, and not only the people who know me, because that was the other thing is I'm like, okay, yeah, like my friends in Athenae are going to buy it. Like my, my high school people are going to buy it because they want to support, right? But, 
you know, there's other readers who like, are like, oh, I got a copy on fully booked. And I'm just like, oh, that's amazing. You know, um, I know it's not easy for the book to get there physically, especially given COVID. Um, but yeah, even just online, like, um, you know, I, I lurk on Instagram. <laughs> I don't actually use Instagram, but I lurk there. And I'm like, wow, like there are Filipino readers, Southeast Asian readers who are like happy and, and trying to like share the book with their audiences um, just to support Filipino authors like myself. And so that I am very, very grateful um, for the book community. And I think um, a lot of the book community in includes Filipinos, which is just awesome. We are, we are readers and we're good at making pretty graphics online, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> which um, I am not. I'm the minority still in that. But I, I don't do the graphics. I can do um, but that's about it. <laughs> so was writing the ultimate end goal for your for your career? Is this is this like, you know, like you talked about you have like degrees in business and you yeah. know all the other things that that you've accomplished, but mm. it's the belly up. Like <laughs> going forth and being like a writer for the for the years to come is yeah this, is this it oh I I like the honest answer is that um I you know I, I I'm I'm comfortable saying I'm a writer and I'm like I love writing no like own <laughs> I own it yeah I, I felt pretty comfortable saying I'm a writer for a while now um and I you know, if someone were to ask me, like, what is your, like, purpose on, on earth, right, I would say it's, it's to write my stories, you know, I think that that is true, I've known that for a while, um, but then I go to a place like Harvard Business School, and then people say, like, well, why don't you just write, you know, and, and, like, people ask me, like, like, they're, like, the narrative, right, is follow your passion, you know, and everything else will follow, and I think that, um, I think that that's great, I also think it's, like, quite privileged and I am a very privileged person like I know this um but I also don't feel like it's responsible to just write at this time because it doesn't make money you know <laughs> like writing doesn't make a lot of money and I I knew that um going in and I think it can you know the other thing is like I know friends who write for a living um and I know that you you can make a living as an author it's possible it does require a lot of things to line up in your favor. And um, I, again, I, I don't, this again is not me putting myself down. I'm just not sure I'm a super commercial writer. That's the other thing, right? Like setting aside, it's a Filipino audience or it, it's a Filipino story. And I don't know how big the audience is for that. Just, just generally, right? Um, you know, I, I just don't have a sense of like, is, is my work the kind of book that's going to sell a thousand copies or thousands of thousands? Like, I don't know, you know, and I don't think anyone knows. This is what people in publishing always say is like, they just have no idea what's actually going to be a hit. Um, I'm not such a super risk taker that I feel comfortable being like, I'm going to make it work. You know, like I am a very practical person who, um, you know, I also recognize like part of the issue quote unquote is that I want to live in in the coasts if I'm in the states and I want to have enough um uh money to fly home and visit Manila and that's like an expensive flight you know so like I just pragmatically um am not comfortable 
tying my financial stability to writing because it is so unstable and increasingly so. I mean, there are a lot of articles publishing about how, you know, 20 years ago, it was much easier to make a living as an author. And now it's harder. Like you hear about the success stories um, and then not much else, right? And a lot of, um, I think another article came out a few years ago that a lot of writers are independently wealthy from their family or they're being supported by their spouse, right? And that is totally fine. Like, I think if you have that resource, you should use it. Um, but again, just for me personally, like it would be hard to do that. So, you know, I, I feel very, very lucky to have a career, like a day job that I actually like a lot. Um, I do product management and, you know, it's, it's interesting work. Um, I get a lot of value out of like working on a team and, you know, um, being able to build like products that help clients. Like, like um, I genuinely, genuinely like my day job and I want to get better at it too. So I think for me, the challenge is I, for some reason, cannot not try to be super good at both. And this means that I'm constantly like, um, yeah, just having to like split my brain, divide my time, um, and, you know, work really hard on two, two separate careers simultaneously. And I don't really feel like I have a right to complain because I have writer friends who are doctors who are doing something extremely important, AKA saving lives, um, that also manage to like write. And so, you know, I'm like, I don't really have excuses. I also want to be realistic that like doing two careers is just really hard. So, um, you know, I, when I think about my ideal future state, I would love to be in some kind of position where I can dedicate more of my life to writing, whether that's like a couple months a year or two days a week or something like that. Like, and I see people get to that balance. I'm not yet quite there with my other work. Um, but you know, I, that's what I'm hopefully working towards because, um, I just want to spend a bit more of my time doing the writing. And to be honest, some of that also means that I need to do the stuff in writing that gets you there, which includes things like finishing a novel. So, <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's my current project is like, okay, to hit that milestone, I need to kind of show that, you know, I have more books in me. It doesn't need to be a novel. That's just the project right now. But yeah. Hopefully, you know, you'll be able to get to that point. You know, um, I think that was, I think that was you and I, oh, no, no, no. I, I get my conversations mixed up. <laughs> um, last night I was out with a friend and we were talking about hip hop and we were talking about uh, Lauren Hill and how she only has that one album. She did an unplugged MTV album, but her, her album, her solo project is just one solo project. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you have people who want to call her like a one hit wonder. And it's like, no, that's her magnet opus. Like we, yeah. we don't need anything else from her. So, you know, if, if you get that, 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 uh, novel done, that's just mm -hmm. more for us to en enjoy, but we really enjoyed reading, uh, your short story collection. And we're just so thankful to be able to have a conversation with you about it. And as we're coming to the close of um, of our our time together, we have two more questions. And so one is, we just want to know, like, what's the greatest thing that you've learned um, since, like, or while writing your your novel, like, be it about yourself or just the whole process? Like, what is mm -hmm. the like the one takeaway that you can be like, this is what. <laughs> 
Uh, the biggest lessons that I learned, I, 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 I'll say a couple of things because I feel like, um, you know, there's, there's always more than one. Um, I mean, I think um, one of the big lessons that I've learned um, when it comes to writing is how important it is to practice self-honesty. Um, and that goes into things like, there was a period um, when I didn't get to write books or like write my stories because I was applying to grad school and had day job at the same time and I was so sad you know <laughs> it was like a really hard year um and a lot of the conventional writing advice tends towards like write every day or like write as much as you can and so I really had this extended period where I was like what am I even doing like can I still call myself a writer I'm not writing um it's all gonna go away um but the truth is that, you know, that, that was just a period when I could not do it because of external circumstances. And so I think, you know, after going through that, I was able to write again. It just, I needed to get through that first. And so practicing that self-honesty and self-kindness of like really looking at my situation and say, and realizing now I, at this moment in time, I can't write. How can I change my situation so that in future I can, um, was a really important exercise to go through. And making sure that, you know, now when I hit like these periods where it's difficult to write, just remembering that I went through it before and remembering that like, you can get it back, um, but you have to, you know, be both kind and honest with yourself. The honesty piece comes from like, when you are in a situation where you are able to write, um, pushing yourself, you know, like not, not, letting it, not letting yourself go too easy. Um, an example of me taking that advice uh, after you know a long time of not taking that advice was there was a period when I was trying to write a book and I kept switching the idea like I would write something hit a wall and then be like okay I'm gonna do something else because <laughs> this is hard and I just kept doing that even if I knew it wasn't like the right thing to do and it took a mentor telling me you should stop doing that you're never going to finish anything if you do that um, for me to be like yeah she's she's right <laughs> like I need to stop switching projects I like I knew it, but I wasn't being honest with myself that that's what I was doing. Um, so, you know, I think practicing self-honesty is really important. Um, the other, the other, I guess, major takeaway is the value of community um, and how important it is to have people around you who um, can support you and sort of like hold your hand through the publishing process, through the book coming out process. And this is for me, both writers and non-writers, like I am, so appreciative to the non-writers in my life, which includes friends from all over. It includes my family, um, you know, former coworkers, my barcada in the Philippines. Like, they do not treat me differently <laughs> <laughs> because I am an author. They're just like, oh, it's Isa doing her weird shit with Mananangal again. You know, <laughs> like, so used to my antics. I have to shout out my best friends here because they are doctors. Like, fully half of my high school friend group are doctors. And so sometimes in the chat, I'll just be like, hey, guys, if I want to, you know, have someone like look really, really injured, but not actually be that injured, where should I put their cut? <laughs> and they're going to be like in their hairline. Uh, you're writing a story, right? You know, so um, my friends really keep me grounded and like remind me that there is life beyond publishing drama and like all the stress that goes on here because you know at the end of the day um like writing 
is is my world but it's also not everything and like what's you know even more important to me is that like my family and friends are safe and healthy and all of that stuff um and then the writing people I do have to say it makes such a huge difference to have someone I can message and be like I am panicking about the table of contents you know or like (laughs) (laughs) or like um hey guys, like the writing is going really, really badly today. Like, I just feel like I, I don't know how to words. I don't know, you know, I don't know if, I don't know if I can write again, right? We all have those days. And so to have um, writers who understand that, who can sort of be like, okay, like let's talk through it, you know, <laughs> um, is really, really great. And again, it, it wasn't super deliberate me building up community. I don't think it's the kind of project where you're like, now I'm going to network and like suddenly, you know, build people, right? It's, it's about developing genuine relationships with people, which requires a significant time investment, right? Um, and so again, I didn't realize it as I was building the community, but I find myself in the very fortunate position um, through having invested in the community over the years that I now have these friendships. And so, um, you know, I sometimes hear from people like, how do you get started building that community? And I think it is just about like reaching out in a genuine way um, and trying to like really get to know people. And I would recommend that you try to find people in the same stage of writing and publishing that you are in. Um, Not to say that, you know, you shouldn't try reaching out to like writers who are much, much further along. Like I definitely did that and it paid off in some cases, but there is something to be said for like, you're all in it together with a certain phase. Um, So like a lot of my, current friend group either are working on their first novels right now or are um, have just published their first novels and so it's it's like a cohort like you're 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 struggling through the same thing together and I think that makes a difference like medical school y'all y'all all (laughs) do the residency program together totally totally yeah that like I know (laughs) (laughs) oh my god the med school med school bonds and drama Mm -mm. (laughs) <laughs> so Isabel we really thank you for your time um, we greatly appreciate you talking to us about your collection of your short stories and I hope you don't stop creating you know stories like this stories for people like us and so they can know how great you know our little country is and yeah we we do tend to talk a little about ourselves I think <laughs> of colonialism yeah, blame like it I always blame it on them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, keep keep writing, and we'll we'll be here. We'll be watching. We'll be reading. Um, but before we end this, we need we need to know your top five books. Oh, all time, all time, all time, all time. And, you know, just for the people who are listening, you know, this is not her set in stone list. Like if she gets to a point where she realizes there's a book that comes along in 2022, she's like, this book rocked my world. It's now on the top (laughs) of my list. She can change it at any time she wants. But today we want to know what what are those five books that you either like uh that you took to heart growing up and and read or the five that you might be excited about that's not no one has read yet that Mm -hmm. you want the world to know about yeah um I do I mean so 
Number one there is um, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley. That's actually my favorite book. Um, and I just, I find it like unusual and delightful. And like, um, every time I read it, I'm like, this is so weird, <laughs> but it's like a lot of fun. Um, and so that, that is my answer to that. You know, I, I, I've never read it and then had my answer change still, but it's been a couple of years. So another book that is super formative to me, cheating. It's like the entire body of work of Diana Wynne Jones, um, who is most well known for House Moving Castle. Um, I do want to recommend, uh, she has this book called Fire and Hemlock that, um, it's a retelling of, of Tamlin. And, um, you know, that was just, it's, it's a, it's a book about stories. Um, but she also just like handles, uh, a very complicated plot and plot structure really well. So, um, really recommend honestly, most of what she's written, but that one in particular, people want to try a book that's not Howl. Um, I do um, have to shout out Song of Achilles uh, by Madeline Miller. Um, that one, like, it um, brought me back to reading in a big way at, in a period where I, for some reason, was, like, not super connecting to a lot of books. Um, and I just, I think it's, like, a beautiful love story. <laughs> um, and it made me really happy to sort of, you know, See, see a myth retelling with a lot of fantasy in it really sort of like hit a lot of readers. Um, so it opened up that possibility again. Um, Spirits Abroad by Zen Cho. Uh, she's a Malaysian author. Um, it, this is a collection that just got a reprint also from Small Beer Press and readings and stories to me always feels like home. Um, even if she's not Filipino, like there's just something to the Southeast Asian vibes that like, I don't know, really, really um, is magic for me. Um, and then uh, the last one, I'm like, ooh, I, I can't not say this book, but it's Harrow the Ninth by Tamsin Weir, um, which is the sequel to Gideon the Ninth. And um, it, to me, the thing with this book is that it, um, it feels very like fanfic-y. <laughs> um, and it's just a lot of fun. And I feel like she really, you know, had a lot of, she she did a lot of things that again to me I'm constantly looking for like who are like broadening what's possible in publishing um and so you know I think that um Tamsin and Zen are two authors that are doing that today and really sort of like yeah making making more things possible I guess for the next generation of writers so um I have to call them out wait I remembered one more I'm gonna throw number six oh, in the bonus because everyone has to read her everything. Um, Sophia Samatar, um, and in particular, I'll call out her second novel, um, The Winged Histories. Uh, she is an amazing author, poet, educator, um, essayist. Love Sophia. More people should know about her. Highly, highly recommend um, her two novels, but the second one in particular um, is set, it's high fantasy, secondary world but just extremely beautifully told and like it is a book about war that does not focus on the war um so you know I, I think if you're into like Liglin and that kind of thing would highly highly recommend Samatar's work I think I need to talk to Isabel like separately like I need like a list of books that I need to read <laughs> Google Docker but- list. <laughs> And please, you know, with like a description of like who 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 do I need to read first? Um, it's hard. It's hard finding like sci-fi sci-fi novels that are 
it it's hard to find sci-fi novels that are mm-hmm. also like also catered to adults and not just always like the same whole narrative but that's mm-hmm. a different conversation um but here we are again to our end yeah. um thank you so much for gracing your time with us and we hope to do this again with you very very soon um yeah. Yeah, like this, this makes me really happy for my birthday. Thank you for, for doing this with us. Your book is great. Thank you. Happy birthday. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll work on that book so that I have a reason to come back. But thank you guys so much for having me. I super, super, super appreciate it. Thank you. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have a good, good evening. Bye. 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 We hope you enjoyed our show. Follow us on Instagram at Vulgar Geniuses Book Club. Our theme song was produced by Sean Kantrowitz. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Sean Dammit. That's spelled S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. See you next time. Deuces.